Thank you for listening to Remodeling Mastery by Mark G. Richardson, produced by Surefire Local. Over 40,000 people have listened to Mark G. Richardson's podcast series specifically for home improvement businesses. You can subscribe to this podcast on any mobile phone using iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Mark Richardson, and welcome to Remodeling Mastery. Remodeling Mastery is a podcast series to help you take your business to the next level. What I try to do is take different topics, topics that I'm feeling are kind of relevant either in the marketplace or with specific businesses, and really try to drill into them, not only in sharing some of my insights, but also some of the things I'm seeing around the country with some of the top remodeling groups. In addition, what we try to do this year is bring on experts, experts that will give you some insights on ear to the ground of what's happening in the market, but also some thought leaders, thought leaders that, quite frankly, have some scars and bruises, have been there and done it in the industry, whether it's directly in the remodeling business or supporting the remodeling business. This podcast series is supported by many out in the remodeling industry, including the National Association of the Remodeling Industry, Professional Remodeler, Surefire, and now a great organization that is focused on texting and integrate that into your uh, remodeling mastery as well, named Marlamar. So I want to thank them for certainly helping and supporting and bringing this to you. I'd also encourage that You know, I'm always interested in feedback, so feel free to reach back to me and give me any feedback on a particular episode, or I always appreciate if you subscribe to this, that way it's automatically sent to you and certainly you get the benefit. Today I want to talk about kind of a theme that I'm seeing out there more than ever, and that's the whole subject of cash flow in a remodeling business. There's kind of a cash crunch that's oftentimes out there. If you look at most remodeling businesses, they have a cycle throughout the year. They oftentimes start to get into the holidays and into the winter, and oftentimes cash flow is really eaten up, in large part for all sorts of reasons, whether it's related to sales or whether it's related to slowdown in projects or certainly weather. A lot of factors go into play. But any business goes through a normal sort of cycle with cash flow flow where it goes up and down. Now, oftentimes I'm asked, why does a business fail or why is a business especially challenged and they get off track? And what I try to do is boil it down to three things. One is focus, second is uh, commitment, and third is capital. So focus in this case is much more about are you really focusing on the business, not just in the business, focused on where you're going. It's so easy to be kind of chasing a lot of different shiny objects in this business today, and therefore you're not focused on the right stuff. The second is commitment. Now, commitment has to do with not only you, but your partners, your family, has to do with kind of your enthusiasm and, you know, kind of your your real chops, so to speak, and skin in the game and your level of commitment to where you're heading. There needs to be that edge and that level of commitment that doesn't wane if you want to be successful. 
I find sometimes with partnerships, one partner or another heads off on slightly different direction. They're just not as committed to the initiative or not as committed to the business like they were in the past. And that's certainly going to cause it to certainly be challenged or certainly fail. But the third I want to drill into much more deeply today is the whole subject of capital. Now, capital is not just about money. It's also about time and energy. But more specifically today, I want to talk about the money and the cash within the business. Most remodeling businesses, and I know this might be surprising to some who are, have some challenges here, are really kind of cash flow, cash cow type businesses. The amount of cash that you can generate and kind of uh, bank, so to speak, not so much in terms of profitability, but in terms of uh, a backlog of cash within the business generally is pretty high. So the reason that you focusing on this is especially important, I jotted down seven really quick things. Number one is if you want to make the right decisions, it's much easier to do that if you've got kind of a war chest, so to speak, uh, that, that you can then focus on the right business decision, not how much money is in your checking account. The second is, I think we all have integrity. However, having cash flow issues will allow you to uh, keep your promises or break your promises, and neither of which, obviously, you want it to necessarily be a question. Number three is pressure with your clients. You know, you want to have a relationship with your clients that's really focused on the future, not just making sure that you're collecting today. That pressure oftentimes is a little bit excessive if you've got cash flow, cash flow problems. Teams. Your team will get nervous when they start to see the cash flow being a challenge within your business. And certainly... Uh, Having a healthy business, a profitable business in large part, is a product of many things, but cash flow is certainly part of it. But the last, but certainly not the least reason, is really you looking at the mirror and feeling your own degree of, of stress. Think about for the times that you've had a tremendous amount of cash, how does it make you feel? How does it, are you able to think and see things more clearly? Are you just less stressed out as opposed to feeling the level of pressure? So the point in all this is that you have a lot of reasons that you need to make cash a priority. You need to make having a healthy amount of cash a priority within your business. Now, there's no exact rule of thumb in terms of the amount of cash you'd have, but I oftentimes when I'm coaching and working with businesses, I look at their total revenue and I ask them how much cash do they have it on hand? Could be deposits, could be payments, could be profits, could be just a backlog of cash from previous years. But how much cash do they have on hand? And generally speaking, I would like to see at least 10% of the total revenues being cash. And I think at least that much allows you to be healthy and making the right decisions. So here's a few tips. I've jotted down 10 kind of ideas in terms of addressing and improving cash flow. Because it's not unusual, as I said earlier, for businesses to try to, to fall off a little bit in terms of the cash flow. The question is, what do you do about it? You know, the most successful in this business know how to act when they see a challenge or problem. So it's not a question of the sky is falling when there's a cash flow problem. It's more, are you acting and making it a priority to address it? So number one on my list of things that you can do about it is take some time when there is a cash flow problem to know what your numbers are. 
It's very similar, for example, if you, you know, are sick, you want to take a little bit of a blood test, you want to, you know, uh, uh, go to the doctor and actually take some inventory of what you got to work with so that you can then create the right prescription of how to proceed. So number one is knowing your numbers. Number two is having a goal. Now, if you have a cash flow, let's just say of about $50,000 sitting there and the goal you need to establish is 100,000, then that's the goal. But the more importantly, the goal needs to translate into a plan. You're not going to overnight double the amount of cash flow in your business. So what you have to do is you have to map out a, an aggressive but realistic kind of plan to be able to get to that goal. It might take you three to six months to increase your cash flow to get to that goal, but you need to have the goal and then you need to have the plan to be able to get there. The third element I have on my list is that this is a team sport. Don't try to carry all the weight. What you need to do is gather your leadership team, maybe it's a couple of the leaders, and you really need to talk about the why the cash flow is important. You need to be more transparent in terms of where you stand. But then you also need to try to make, with the list of the team members involved, ways that each one of them individually can contribute and then have a monitoring process to be able to see how that's increasing over time. Number four is I think sometimes you just have to ask for a little bit of forgiveness when it comes to your suppliers or when it comes to some of the subcontractors. Maybe you just push back their cash flow by two weeks or four weeks. But more times than not, not 100% of the time, but more times than not, if you've got a good established relationships with suppliers and trade contractors, that they'll give you a little bit of forgiveness to be able to push the cash flow back. Number five is take a look at your payment and draw schedules. What I find when I look at payments and draw schedules, sometimes you're ending up funding clients' projects as opposed to them funding their own project. So by focusing on the draw schedules and looking at the payment schedules and adjusting that blend appropriately, you might find that your cash is going to increase pretty dramatically. Number six is look at the amount of money on the street. Look at the amount of money that is owed to you. You need to make it with your team a priority to have collection goals and really turn that dial way up if you've got a cash flow problem. So by looking at the money that's on the street and then focusing on making collecting that money that's due to you a priority is an important thing to do. Number seven on my list is look at those Items within the projects that you're doing additional work, the change orders, the addendums, the opportunity that the client has mentioned that they want to do some additional work. Try to get those quick things in place, get those change orders and addendums not only signed but also paid for so that it's going to improve your cash flow uh, situation. Number eight is the whole subject of speed. Now, a good friend and certainly thought leader, Brian Gottlieb, talks about the importance of speed in businesses today. The faster that you can move through projects, whether it's through design or whether it's through sales and into installation, and then the faster that you complete the project, it's going to have a dramatic improvement on your cash flow position. 
if you think about it just kind of rationally, how much time do you have to pay for certain things, whether it's labor or whether it's paying for materials or subcontract? Oftentimes, it's 30, 60 days out, you're actually paying for things. So if, in fact, you can get something done faster, it's going to build a natural amount of cash flow for your business. Number nine is get out and close deals. Probably the fastest way that you can improve cash flow is make sales a priority, make closing the deal a priority. If you can really push the team and yourself to get out and close deals, you're going to fill that war chest up very quickly. And then last but certainly not least on my list is all businesses, I believe, should have some line of credit through the bank. Now, the best time to get a line of credit through the bank is obviously when you don't need the line of credit. However, you still need to pursue the line of credit. Now, think about the amount of the line of credit that you have within the business. Again, I would want within the business at least a 5 or 10% of your total revenues as a line of credit so that you can go to that when there are rainy days and you have access to it. So again, just to summarize, it's not unusual to have cash crunch problems, cash flow issues within businesses. What's most important is what are you doing about it? And I find a lot of folks out there that I either talk to or I see, oftentimes they think it's going to be a gift from God to really change this. But the reality is you can change it. You can fix it. And I would argue you can fix it very quickly. And if you see this bucket of cash start to rise, rise, rise and flow up, you're going to feel much, much better moving forward. So stay tuned. We have a lot more with Remodeling Mastery coming up. I want to thank everybody for listening to Remodeling Mastery, but just as much I want to thank those that support this particular series. Now, first and foremost, I want to encourage you not just to listen, but to subscribe. And for those people that subscribe to this podcast or actually reach out to my producers, Surefire, a leading digital marketing organization, you'll actually receive a copy of one of my books that will help you take your business to the next level. This podcast series is actually supported by Professional Remodeler. Professional Remodeler is committed to help you understand and crack the code on your business. So I encourage you to try to spend the time reading the magazine and reach out to them and be a little bit more of a voice in the industry. I also encourage you to get involved, get engaged. The National Association of Remodeling Industry, NERI, is a wonderful organization that I've been involved with with most of my career and actually had so many opportunities as a result of that. And lastly, certainly reach out to my friends at Surefire Local that will be able to help you with your business. Welcome back to Remodeling Mastery. I'm your host, Mark Richardson. And in this segment, uh, what we like to do is have a conversation, conversation with a thought leader, uh, someone in the remodeling industry that certainly has had not only a lot of experiences, but also a lot of success. And with success, as you will hear, that there's oftentimes some lessons learned that, you know, our different interviews, first and foremost, they want you to avoid some of those potholes. So, I want to introduce you to a good friend and also one of the leaders in the remodeling industry, Tom Kelly. He is the president 
uh, and CEO of the Neil Kelly Company. Uh, they're located or headquartered in Portland, Oregon, and they have uh, several satellite offices in the Northwest that I will let uh, certainly Tom tell you a little bit more about that. So welcome, Tom. And uh, why don't we begin the discussion by uh, you kind of giving people a better understanding of who Neil Kelly Company is. Sure. Um, glad to be with you, Mark. So Neil Kelly is a 72-year-old business, remodeling business, uh, started by Neil Kelly, my father, um, in 1947. Um, our main business is design, build, remodeling. However, we do a variety of other things. We're in headquarters in Portland, and we have uh, design centers in Eugene, Oregon, Bend, Oregon, and Seattle, Washington. Um, besides remodeling, we have a solar division, a handyman division, uh, energy retrofit we call home performance, and uh, a roofing division. Now, you said, Tom, your father founded, launched the business in 1947. How did you, other than kind of being the son, how did you kind of get involved with the business? And even before that, what, what are some of your roots? Well, I grew up in a big family, and I'm actually one of the youngest. And I think all of the kids at one time or another worked in the business, um, but I was the one who early on uh, showed the most interest, and I think that that caught my father's attention. So by the time I was uh, actually a teenager, he had identified me as the one that he thought would someday take over the business. So really, other than doing a, a, a internship for a congressman in Washington, D.C., the only place I've ever worked has been at Neil Kelly, and I think my first job was uh, – uh, helping dig a footing for an addition on a house when I was 12 years old. I don't know if we were violating any labor laws in those days, but, and I was making 75 cents an hour. Wow. So <laughs> <laughs> what a great, what a, what a great memory, if not anything else. And uh, certainly who, who would have known that, you know, you've grown this business now to over 40 million, which is, one of, if not the largest, kind of pure design build firms in the United States right now. Yeah, we don't. Uh, well, we're interested to see uh, how the rankings come out this year because we think we've moved from top five to potentially one or two or some somewhere in there. Um, Excellent. Well, a very, good, very an important measurement, not the only one. <laughs> well, very well deserved. And, you know, again, I think with many, many of the listeners, we have thousands listeners for this podcast series, you know, some of them, Tom, are, you know, have one, $2 million businesses, and some of them are, you know, more uh, substantial in terms of revenues. However, you know, it's always interested to, interesting to hear what, you know, someone who has gotten to the altitude or the scale that you have of you know, what, what are, what do you love? What do you, what gets you out of the bed every morning in terms of what you care about the most with this remodeling industry? Well, one of the wonderful things about the remodeling industry is that uh, we are instrumental in helping our customers change their lives and change how they live. And I, I get a real charge out of that. I get a real charge out of 
my employees uh, having opportunities to grow in in their lives and to make successes that um, they might not otherwise have been able to to make. So we, as a company, we just retired uh, last year one of our employees who worked for us for 49 years. Have a project manager who's been with us for 45. So I I, I really enjoy. Um, you know the longevity of the relationship that we have with our employees uh, and the difference we can make in the community too we're a pretty community-minded company and have been active in our industry and active in in uh, civic uh, uh, engagement um, in our in all of our locations but particularly portland well one of the things that i've certainly talked about in earlier podcast is you know, the seven kind of motivations of remodelers. And you've got to look in the mirror and really know what motivates you. And needless to say, we're all a blend of these seven. But, you know, having known Tom and the Neil Kelly Company for a while, it, it's an organization, as Tom talks about, not only very team-focused, but probably the most kind of community and environmentally kind of focused organization, really, that's out there. And, you know, Tom, if, if you could take a couple of minutes and talk about this notion of being a B Corp, which I think is probably foreign language for many of the listeners out there. But but I think it to me, whether you choose or choose not to pursue it, it at least helps to understand a little bit more who you are. Sure. So um, the B Corp movement really centers around a, a couple of things. One is, is that um, it's quite simple. You change your bylaws, your corporate bylaws, and it can be different forms of corporations, a C-Corp or an S-Corp or a limited liability company. We're a S-Corp. And so we changed our bylaws to say that besides um, profit, our objectives were also the environment, the community, uh, and our employees. So it, that part of it is pretty simple. Um, then for B corporations, there's a certification uh, that's done by uh, an organization called B Labs, and essentially they um, we do a lot of reporting about uh, all of our business practices, and um, it's a you know it's something similar to like a lead certification for a building, and that this outside organization certifies that we are doing what we say we are doing. Um, so they, in fact, have um, the uh, opportunity to come in and audit us. So if we say these are the benefits that we're providing to our employees, they can come in and confirm that, which, in fact, this last year, they did audit us. So it's it's a, um, you know, there's it's not something that is just a, a real simple or that you can just um, do easily. It it uh is is fairly challenging and we like that a lot because on an ongoing basis it causes us to improve who we are the kind of employer we are and the kind of corporate citizen that we are in the community one of the things that tom i think you've done an amazing job not only keeping employees until obviously that they've been with you for a long period of time but you know i think this whole notion of you know, kind of cult company culture is one of these kind of uh, business terms that's oftentimes tossed around. But I, I truly believe that you guys live it and it's a top priority. Talk to us a little bit about the Neil Kelly 
culture? Sure. Um, you know, I think it, it has to do with some of the things we just talked about, our commitment to um, good environmental practices, our commitment to um, employee practices that that uh, really we reward our employees with, with things like 401ks and um, at the same time, um, a strong commitment to education. So we um, we 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 invest in our employees, and in many ways, we're we're very committed to certifications. Um, you know, certified kitchen designers is a good example, but there's there's a lot of those in the industry, and we see um, ongoing education and learning as a very important part of our culture. Um, our culture is very much oriented towards our customers and creating the best possible experience and outcome for them so that um, they'll come back and have us remodel again or refer us, and that's such an important part of our business. Um, geez, the, the, um, I, I guess I learned when I was at the University of Oregon uh, from a professor there that business is... Uh, uh, the uh, maybe not the one, but one of the most important uh, vehicles for um, good social change. So it's I've always believed that uh, a business can really influence the community in a positive way. So um, we've been really in, engaged in lots of different organizations and uh, city government, state government. Um, and uh, trying to help improve Oregon and our community. Well, and I think what Tom's expressing, which is so important, is that, you know, the business can, in fact, be much bigger than you. It can have more impact than you. It's got more dimensions and spokes to it, which not only include team, but, you know, in Tom and certainly in the Neil Kelly case, it includes certainly the community and certainly the environment as well. Now, as, as you reflect, Tom, and you certainly, you know, got a little bit of, uh, you know, gray hair and certainly experience, and you look back in the rearview mirror, uh, you know, what are some of those kind of lessons learned? What are some of those maybe even kind of mistakes that you learned from? You know, in an earlier interview with Larry Weinberg with, with BOA, we talked, you know, about you know, some of the potholes, he says, you know, I, I, I remember the potholes, but most importantly, I remember the lessons that I learned from it. What What are some of those lessons learned for you? You know, I think probably the biggest lesson was growing the business, um, getting out ahead of our, of our infrastructure, of our accounting system, of our processes, so that we really got out ahead of our skis and, and, um, in fact, uh, we've continued to grow, but at the same time, we've spent the last uh, several years really bringing our our systems uh, up to the level of where the company has now arrived. And we're, we're just about done with that, so I can kind of take a deep breath and say, um, "Hey, that was uh, that's good to have that part over." But it it can be pretty distressing when when uh, your systems don't really uh, handle the size company that you've become. So that's probably my biggest lesson. Certainly, all over the years, we've tried so diff many different lines of business, and and uh, you know, just 
just tried the property restoration insurance business uh, for a couple of years and um, came to the conclusion that it wasn't working for us. So we closed that down just just not that long ago, three or four months ago. Uh, I don't know how many of those I've done in my career and not a lot of regrets because I think it takes some finding out. And, you know, we did that with a handyman back in the in the uh, early 90s. And that today is one of our strongest divisions. So uh, and and most profitable division. So, you know, there's probably at my stage of my career, I'm not going to be doing going out and doing a lot more of those kinds of initiatives, but mainly focusing on having the business run as well as it possibly can and as financially strong as it can. Well, one of the things, too, that maybe you can comment on, Tom, that kind of relates to that, you know, those passages is that, you know, many of your key people who, you know, at a $10 million company were quite adequate, adequate, you know, when you got them up into a higher level of leadership at, you know, 20 or 30 million, all of a sudden, you know, your needs or the company's needs were really changing. Maybe you can, maybe you can touch on that a little bit because, you know, I think for many of our listeners who, you know, are, are, are believing, looking at the existing team, they may be quite adequate for where you are, but not necessarily for where you want to be in the future. Well, you know, certainly when I look back on our history, um, you know, there, there is a, you know, every time you hit the next uh, growth level, there's probably people on your team that um, that's beyond their capabilities. And, and you have to even look at yourself when you consider all that. And, um, you know, in the last 10 years, we've uh, made a change in our accounting leadership, made a change in our IT leadership. We had a same IT person for 18 years, and uh, it's it's almost miraculous what it's like to have this new, much more sophisticated IT person now working for me. Um, so same with sales management and just, you know, across the board as we've grown and, and our, our challenges have changed. Uh, and, you know, at the same time, some of our leaders in the company, uh, you know, including me, are still here and, and and being successful. And some of the leaders that we um, we just changed their positions so that they were in in uh, in a role that really made sense for them. So it's it's constant evaluation and and uh, improvement is what it takes to to have a leadership group and basically all of your employees that can help you to be successful uh, when you're larger. Now, none of us, Tom, have a crystal ball or we're necessarily kind of uh, psychics with respect to what the future might look like. But, you know, as you look out to the future, uh, you know, what, what are those things that have you tossing and turning a little bit at night? What are, what are some of those things that, <laughs> you know, quite frankly, are, are things that you're a bit concerned about, but could be also you're concerned because you're excited about it in a, in a positive or negative way. What, what are some sure. of those things that you see? Well, you know, the last several years, uh, particularly 2018, um, we grew quite a bit. We grew uh, overall 27% in, in uh, new sales and uh, it, the 2018 economy, I think, was a, a very robust one, one of the most robust robust years in, in my career. 
um, those don't always stay around. And there's definitely um, right now what appears to be a softening of the market. I like to think that it's it's heading towards a place that is more typical. Um, and, and doesn't one doesn't have to necessarily say, oh, my God, um, you know, next week or next month, we're going to see a recession. But this has been a long run. Um, and somewhere in here in the next two or three years, I think I've we're going to we're going to see a uh, we're going to see a, a correction. Um, I think this will be either my fifth or maybe my sixth one. I've been president of the company for 40 years this year. Um and actually, you know what I find in a downturn is is that is uh, it is good for for businesses to have those challenges and to really examine every cost, examine every uh, line of business that they're in, and make sure that they're running their business as smart as possible. And we've actually uh, commenced on a process just in the last month of of what would we do if if we did see a, a decline in business. Uh, and I actually am really pleased to tell you that my leadership team has, you know, created a really great long list of ideas. Um, so I think it's really important to be prepared. But at the same time, um, I think you can gloom and doom yourself into, you know, a, a more negative impact than there needs to be. Yeah, I think we're moving into a time that. You know, my advice and kind of a little bit of an adage or mantra for folks is not intended to be negative, but it, you know, might sound a little bit that way. And it's assume the worst, but hope for the best. And assuming the mm -hmm. worst is not necessarily, you know, you put your tail between your leg, but it's at least having, to your point, having that backup plan, having that what if you know, we, we aren't hitting certain marks. What, what do we do about it? And I think that's just, quite frankly, it's, it's, it's the smart way to be, be, be looking at things. So, so I certainly applaud it. Now, 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 Tom, obviously with a lot of your experience, one of your commitments is uh, not only to coaching and mentoring a very large team, but, you know, if you're giving advice to some of those folks out there that have maybe smaller businesses, you know, what, what's maybe one or two bits of advice that you would give a business that, you know, is yearning for getting better and growing the business? You know, I think it's really important uh, when smaller businesses are growing to recognize that there's plateaus and that um, to get to the next level, there's generally going to be some kind of leap forward. And that usually means, um, you know, for the owner of a smaller business to delegate some portions of the role that, you know, they have all of the roles that they're um, doing themselves, figuring out which is the smart, what their strengths are, and then uh, identifying those and identifying where they might be smartest. And, you know, so if they're really good on the production side of the business, should they uh, hire someone else to do sales or vice versa? And um, I think the most important thing for all of us is to have uh, a really great handle on the numbers and to really understand the accounting side of the business and everything from, you know, just understanding financial statements, understanding what their cash flow and what the impacts of that are. Uh, and that's where I see so many, you know, companies that do get into trouble just um, don't 
don't price their jobs correctly and therefore um, they're working for nothing and you know pretty soon they're in trouble and it's uh understanding the numbers is is probably number one great advice so so just in closing Tom one of the questions I'd like to you know have you know successful thought leaders share is you know how much of this was being in the right place at the right time how much of your success is you know you just happen to be a little bit luckier or you know how much of it is that you just grind you just kind of work through it mm -hmm. you're smarter than the rest of the group how much mm -hmm. of it how would you how would you answer that question you know when i look back on my career i can say that um i have been i have consistently worked hard at the same time i haven't you know overworked i i believe in a in a life balance um and I see such, you know, variances in consistency. So that's one important component. I think resiliency is, is, uh, you know, if I wanted to have somebody other than me describe myself, I would want them to say that I was a resilient guy that, you know, up against adversity, um, found my way through. And, uh, that's, I think so many business people think they're going to somehow, you know, get that uh, pot of gold at the other end of the rainbow, and you know, in a in a in a really short period of time, and it just doesn't happen that way. It takes hard work year in and year out, and there's maybe a few folks out there who find that pot of gold, but um, consistency and diligence and resilience are what I think a successful business person needs to demonstrate over the long term. Excellent. Well, I want to thank Tom Kelly, again, CEO, President of the Neil Kelly Company. They're headquartered in Portland and have offices in Eugene, Bend, and Seattle. Uh, I encourage you to go to the Neil Kelly website if you want to learn more about the company. If you are up in the Northwest, uh, they're very much of a company that in encourages, I think, other folks out there that are in the industry, or quite frankly, even looking to join a really successful team, reach out to them and start that dialogue. But Tom, thanks so much for uh, joining me today. And, uh, you know, we'd lo we're looking forward to a great 2019 together. Great talking with you, Mark. Thank you. And uh, thank everybody for listening. And also, I just want to highlight again, you know, if you really like this particular podcast or one of the earlier interviews or some of the insights, you know, don't hesitate to forward it, to share it. But most importantly, if you like it, I'd encourage you to subscribe. Uh, by subscribing to this podcast, you automatically get these. So you can kind of pick and choose. It's kind of like a little curriculum of interviews and insights that'll really help you take your business to the next level. So thank you everyone, and I'll speak to you soon. If you liked what you've heard, take a moment to subscribe to Remodeling Mastery on your phone using your favorite podcast app. It's available in all the major apps like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Go ahead and post in the comments what you learned and any questions you have for Mark, and he may answer them on an upcoming episode. Thank you again for listening to Remodeling Mastery by Mark G. Richardson.